Prospecting's hard, number one, because as a sales professional, you're putting yourself out there every day on the front lines of risk and rejection. Dan said it, prospecting is hard. It's one of the hardest things about being in sales, but why? What makes this essential function so difficult and how do we overcome it? Join Pam, Dan, and me as we discuss prospecting in a new light. I'm Kylie Schmitz. I'm Dan Lappin, and this is Breaking Sales, a non-conformist take on rejecting the sales status quo. Join the Lappin 180 team as we break the tried and died sales tactics and techniques that are failing you and your prospects. Prospects are just trying to protect their time and effort. So now they look for all these filters. And if you have this sales mindset that we all talk about, it makes it very difficult to break that prospect's pattern recognition. So how do you break that prospect's pattern recognition? So going back to sales mindset versus advisor mindset, remember, it always comes back to that mindset. If my goal in prospecting is to set meetings, once again, there's a result. I need a result. So if I'm going to sit down for two hours and make phone calls, I better get five meetings. Well, guess what I'm going to sound like when I make that phone call? Like everybody else who has a result in mind as well. And so to Dan's point about breaking that pattern recognition, I have to approach my prospecting effort differently. I need to focus on the things that I can control. My level of transparency, my authentic voice, my empathy, honest, open communication. The elephant in the room with prospecting is you're trying to control what another human being will do. And that's the one thing we can't control. There is absolutely no guarantee that what I say is going to cause that person to take a meeting with me. So I have to learn to let that go and instead focus on the things I can control. I don't need or want anything from this person. And I am certainly not making any assumptions that a conversation would even make sense between our two organizations. So back to, I'm going to stop focusing on the result to get a meeting, which is the one thing I can't control, to what are the things that I can control. And that's that shift from the sales mindset to the advisor mindset. So it is practicing some very different components to your prospecting. And this is where I think, Kylie, if you really dedicate yourself to understanding that fundamental elephant in the room, which is I cannot control what another human being is going to do no matter what, then you will start to see a very different conversation happening and a very different feeling when you go to make those prospecting phone calls. I no longer am going to take it personally. You know, one of the first things you recognize is the reason I am taking it personally is because I do want something personally from it. So it's very easy to not take things personally when I know I'm making these phone calls to potentially have a conversation with somebody, but it's okay if that doesn't happen. And it's amazing the difference, the experience they will have on the other end of that phone when you let the need to set a meeting go and instead really practice those elements on transparency, authenticity, empathy, and being a peer. So I want to play a fun little game here for a second. (laughs) Dan, since I'm sure you get countless sales calls or solicitations. 
Can you give me an example of a voicemail from a salesperson that you've received that you would delete immediately? And then on the flip side, I want Pam to give us an example of a voicemail that she would leave for a prospect. There's two that come to mind right away. And it's not that the entire structure or what was said in the voicemail or the LinkedIn invite was bad. But if I think back on the LinkedIn invite in particular, and I get this one all the time, and it's funny, no matter what the industry is, it's the same message. It's the term mutually beneficial. It could be an IT person reaching out. It could be a financial advisor reaching out. It could be um, a real estate agent reaching out, anything. I'll get this Maybe we should connect and meet and have a cup of coffee because it might be mutually beneficial. No, that's not going to happen. That is so vague. I don't know what mutually beneficial means. And that vagueness, there's no way I'm spending time with that person. And what that triggers to me is this person wants something from me. You can't be vague in your outreach. You have to be succinct. Being succinct is being abundant. It's when we're not succinct that we're actually being scarce because we're hoping that if we're general enough, someone will take a meeting with us. It actually works the opposite. The more succinct you are, the more abundant you are, the more likely you are to get the meeting. So that's one example. Another example that I get all the time is maybe we can help each other. I don't know what that means either. Help each other. Again, very vague. And that was in a voicemail recently. And the person had called twice in two weeks and it was an IT person and they wanted to have a meeting with me. So calling me once a week was fine. I still don't know what help each other means, but then call me the next week and repeating it again, that just tells me that they want something and need something. Their cadence alone is that I'm on the list and I'm next on their list to try to get an appointment with me so they can sell me something. Both of them, I won't even engage. I'm curious, when you hear voicemail, what are some of the keywords that automatically tell you this is going to be a salesperson soliciting you? Lately, given the events that have unfolded recently, uh, right away when I see someone assuming that, hey, your business must be really going through some troubling times and we're here for you, right away I know they want something from me, you know? Standard though, I would love to get together. I'm hoping that we have time to chat. Can I have five minutes of your time? All that stuff right away. Partnership, love to create a partnership. I haven't even talked to the person they're talking about a partnership. As we've always said, right? It's like going on a first date and on that first date, you're 10 minutes into the date and that person turns to you and says, hey, I'd like you to meet my parents tomorrow. Partnership is one of those words creates that same need for us to pull back and be like, okay, slow your horses down. What does partnership mean? We never even talked yet. Next steps, determine if we're a fit. All those things tell me immediately that if I engage this human being, no matter how good their expertise, no matter how good their company is, if I engage this human being, I'm going to experience a sales conversation. And a sales conversation is what's in it for them not in it for me. All right, Pam. <laughs> <laughs> so 
to piggyback off of what Dan said about what a sales prospecting voicemail would sound like, a advisor mindset prospecting voicemail would be very neutral in nature when it comes to your communication. And that is something we spend a lot of time practicing. You know, it's funny, we think in order to be our authentic self, you're off the cuff, it's not scripted, and it's actually the opposite. You have to get very good at practicing how you want to communicate in order for it to become natural. And the first thing that you have to practice is what words signify your neutrality. Now, you do have to believe it, though. And again, it comes back to that mindset. This isn't a tactic. I have to believe all the things that I am saying to the prospect over the phone or leaving in that voicemail. I have to believe I may not be the right solution for them. I have to believe that I'm not losing anything by not hearing back from them. This is a way you communicate because you have shifted to this advisor mindset. And so the neutrality in your words becomes a lot more natural when you start to practice that type of communication. You know, it's being very, very honest in your voicemail. It's explaining that you've never met and that alone might make it a bit awkward. It's saying that. It's saying that in a voicemail. It's calling out the elephants in the room. I have no idea if what we do could help you or not. Here's where, if I put myself in your shoes, it may be worth your time to connect and have a conversation. I, I agree with Dan in the fact that you can't tell somebody you've never met how you're going to make their business better. To me, the biggest shift is I can't tell you how I'm going to make your business better. I can only tell you why I felt a conversation between the two of us would be worth your time. I'll get a lot of sales professionals that that will ask me, okay, I do want something from these calls. I, I do, Pam. This is how I will set myself up. This is how I will build a pipeline. So it's very awkward for me to be able to say to myself, I don't need or want anything from these phone calls. And if, if this person doesn't call me back, my life will go on. And that goes back to you have to change the way you think about your role and responsibility in order to be able to effectively transform the way in which you approach this thing we call prospecting. So at the end of the day, you do truly have to believe that your life will go on if these people don't call you back. And that's probably the, the biggest hurdle that I watch sales professionals have to overcome. Now, I'm not sitting down and making these phone calls, Pam. I, I do want meetings. And I understand that. But that's where we have to really focus our energy and effort on. Let's not worry about the result. Let's worry about how we're communicating. Let's worry about are, are we presenting ourselves as a peer who's neutral and authentic and, and empathetic. I want you to worry about that versus getting the meeting. So just so that our listeners can maybe frame this in their own situation, how do you articulate to yourself in your head before you make a prospect call what your role and responsibility is? So I articulate to myself my role and responsibility is to reach out to companies that we may be able to potentially help. We don't know that yet, which is why I'm reaching out to have a conversation. 
But that's my role and responsibility to reach out to companies that I might be able to help. That's my role. My role is to not set meetings. My role is to reach out. They'll determine whether or not they'll have a meeting. And so that's where, again, what are you measuring? What are you measuring? I want to measure, am I doing that? And how much am I putting myself out there? Am I truly reaching out to people who have never met me? And then number two, my message, what I'm saying. Pam, you mentioned something earlier about when you do your reach out, your prospecting reach out, mention the business reason why you might be able to help them or what potentially could come from a conversation, right? Why, why I'm reaching out. What's the difference between that why and a value proposition? So the difference between the why and the value proposition is I'm telling you why you might find interest in a conversation with me. I'm not going to tell you what what you're going to value. I can't possibly tell another human being what they're going to value in a conversation with me. All I can communicate to them as to why they might want to spend the time. That's all I can do. And it's funny, Kylie, I think when you understand that piece of it, it does change that messaging. We all find the need to tell somebody why they're going to find you relevant. And that's it's too soon for that. But I can tell you why you might actually value time in a conversation. And that's different. And it feels very different than telling somebody why they should value you and your company and your solution. Yeah, I think a value proposition in my mind, it makes a lot of assumptions. 100%. And it it then totally diminishes our neutrality. For our listeners out there, if you're trying to think about a a way to get your mindset really focused and honed in, there's a there's a really good book out there. It's called The Four Agreements. It's nothing to do with sales. But the four agreements themselves are outstanding. I'll share two of them with you. One of them is don't take things personally. I know we were all taught that since we were young, but the way this is framed in the book, it really gives you a good perspective on how to start practicing not taking things personal, which is a reason why most people hate prospecting to begin with. The second agreement is don't make assumptions. Both of them are outstanding. Uh, Once again, it's called the four agreements. It's a great way to get your head straight before you start going on your lengthy prospecting initiatives. So Dan, for our listeners out there who want to actually practice this prospecting skill and develop their muscle in this area, what suggestions do you have? Practicing is key. And for some reason, not a lot of sales professionals really look at practice the way it should be looked at. Again, we talked about this in other podcast episodes, professional athletes, musicians, chefs, doctors, nurses, attorneys, so many people who want to perform at a high level practice. It's no different in sales. One of the best techniques for practicing is listen to yourself. Leave a voicemail for yourself and listen to it. Yes, you're not going to like the sound of your voice. None of us do. But you will learn so much so quickly. Take your notes. Adjust. Leave voicemails for associates. Have them give you feedback. Again, be open to the feedback. You're not going to like it all the time, but you will adjust. 
And there's new technologies out there too that allow you to record yourself. We use a company called Refract. And what it does is it allows you to record yourself and you get feedback on how you did from your coach. And some companies, like the company we use, Refract, actually will give you certain feedback through artificial intelligence as well. So there are technologies out there that can really help you get good at how you present yourself during a prospecting voicemail or a prospecting call. Dan, we've talked a little bit about mindset and how that comes into play with your prospecting. Can we dive a little bit deeper into your mindset and how you prepare before you prospect? And then while you're you're in the moment prospecting, what are some of the things to be aware of? Preparing for prospecting is mindset. And there's a couple things that I know I've done many, many times, specifically in the past when I first started this business and still do to this day. I know Pam's done them, Christy's done them, uh, Tom who works for us does them. And that is number one, you have to remind yourself that your role and responsibility is not to set an appointment to make a sale. If you continue to think that way, you will continue to use sales phrases and sales words that will tell your prospect that they are going to have a sales conversation with you. And most of your prospects don't care and want to have that type of conversation with you. So what you have to do is remind yourself your role and responsibility is to reach out to individuals and companies to determine how and if you can help them. Are they even interested in that type of conversation? That is your role and responsibility, no matter what your expertise is, period, end of story. Number two, you have to also look at it, 5.7 million sales professionals out there making 52 calls a day on average. If you're not making the calls, somebody else is. If you're not going to make the call, somebody else is going to set the appointment. And so you need to remind yourself, you have to make your calls. And as Pam said earlier, don't make your calls tied to an outcome. Make your calls as part of your process. Don't focus on getting the two appointments. Focus on making your 50 calls or your 10 calls or your three calls or your 100 calls. The next thing you have to remind yourself is, You're calling a complete stranger. There is no reason that you should be giving that stranger the power and the right to validate you at all. They're a complete stranger. Whether they like you or not is irrelevant. You may not like them. Don't give the stranger that kind of power. They don't have a right to validate you. The only real person that can validate you at the end of the day is you. So don't seek validation from a stranger. And by thinking that thought process through, it should ease some of the tension that you feel about risk and rejection. Those are the three main things I would share to really help someone move into a more positive, more confident frame of mind before they start making prospecting calls or sending out emails. Now it's time for our favorite segment, Change the Conversation. So our goal with this segment is not to make fun of or belittle the messages that we receive from the hardworking salespeople out there, but rather we want to give you tangible examples that you can chew on to help you take your mindset from that of a salesperson to an advisor. This is actually an email that Dan received. Dan, my name is... Kylie Schmitz, and I am the founder, partner, at ABC Strategies. 
Like many other small businesses, we are focused on banding together and innovating in the midst of a global crisis. You see, at ABC Strategies, we're experts in email marketing. We have set up and managed campaigns for dozens of companies across industries and driven millions of dollars in sales. However, we know that email marketing is not for everyone, and we know that business owners do not want to invest in a new strategy without knowing that it will work, especially not now. Given the difficulty that many companies like Lapin 180 are facing in finding and adding new clients, we've launched a new service to answer your questions about email marketing with real data, not guesses. The process is simple. One, respond to this email with a description of your best clients and why they love you. Two, choose a pricing option. $4.99 for a 500 email test or $999 for a 1500 email test. We'll bill you after we run the campaign. Three, wait three weeks while we run a pilot campaign to provide you with real open rates, response rates, and meeting rates that you can use to decide whether to invest more. Let me know if you are interested or have questions. I am happy to get started immediately. And there are no contracts or commitments. Thanks and stay safe. That was a long email, Kylie. Yeah, I was exhausted reading it. (laughs) Yeah, it was a long email. First and foremost, um, they're an email company, right? That's what they're- (laughs) Email marketing. Email marketing. Um, Someone needs to tell them that um, about 200 words is usually the max that people will engage um, how many words was this individual's email? A million. Okay. A couple of things also come to mind. Number one, um, I don't care if you're the founder of the company. I've never sent out an email ever that says, I'm X, Y, or Z of Lapin 180. Nobody cares. When you send out an email that says you're the founder of a company or you're the president or you're the principal or whatever it is, that is your need to try to impress somebody. And what happens is the person receiving it becomes skeptical of your intent, and for good reason. Nobody cares. Number two, um, I don't know, I tried to count how many sentences in the beginning were all about him. It was at least three or four that were all about him, maybe even more. Nobody cares. You know, we all read that, and all we hear is blah, 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 or, you know, yada, yada, yada doesn't matter to us. Mm -hmm. doesn't matter to us until we know how it benefits us. And then not only was he assumptive, but talking about, you know, the difficulties that Lapin 180 is facing, that's um, disrespectful. That is annoying. Yeah, some of our clients are are having some challenges right now, but our business is doing great. And so to send out an email to people that just says, must be a difficult time or your firm must be struggling... Um, that's a, that's a big put off. That's a turn off right there. And then lastly, again, just overall, it was about him, 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 and him and how to engage us. I also thought it was kind of ballsy to include pricing options. I mean, I don't even fully know what they do and he's already offering me pricing. Yeah. It's funny. He's offering a strategic solution if it's truly about how to send out better emails and get better response rates, that's a, that's a fairly strategic expertise. Mm-hmm. Yet he's making it transactional when he sends pricing right away. Yeah. And who knows, maybe for something like this, we would have 
expected to pay more and it actually does more damage for him than anything else. So Dan, what do you think this guy's mindset was when he sent this email? He was, as we would say, very attached to an outcome. That's why it was so long. He wanted to make sure he covered every potential aspect in his mind on why we should engage him and talk to him. Two, it was scarce. You know, he's talking about immediately he's the founder and all the things that are important to his firm. And people do that when they're feeling scarce and when they feel like they have to validate themselves. And it was also low intent. It was all about him and what he wanted. So he absolutely 100% had a sales mindset. Not to mention, again, it must have been, what, 750 words, maybe 800 words? Mm -hmm. A million, according to my calculations. Thanks for listening to Breaking Sales. If you want to get engaged with us outside of this podcast, be sure to go to our website, lapin180.com. That's L-A-P-P-I-N 180.com. And there you'll find information on upcoming workshops, different events we're doing throughout the United States, ways to engage with us on social media, as well as a form where you can suggest topics or guests for the podcast. We want to hear from you, so don't be shy. Kylie out. All right. Do we have another episode?